Staccato rhythm, disparate from the electronic music thundering all around. A buzzer rang, and Gela felt it reverberate through her as she sank into her fighting stance, though the metal at her feet did not give her much room to sink deep. She wanted to look back to see if Axel was at the glass office wall. She didn't. Dario lunged first, skipping across the air like he'd memorized every place the light slats would move. Gela stood her ground, lightsabers forward. If it had been her, she would have used the force to guide her into a jump. When he was centimeters from her, she parried his blow. Dario's green blades crackled against her violet ones, and she saw the way his arms trembled. He looked at the moonstone hilts, and his brows drew together in worry. Something was wrong. The feeling nudged hard against Gela's senses as she bore her blades against his and pushed. Dario staggered back, but because he seemed to know which of the fighting ring's metal slats could malfunction, he knew where to fall. Catching himself on a ledge, he simply waited another second for the opportunity to regain his footing. Gela landed in front of him in a single jump. Impressive, he growled in a booming voice. But I am the only true Jedi on this station. He twirled the shaft in one hand with expert movements. It must have taken great practice to guide their motion, especially when the man was no Jedi. You are no Jedi, I know, she said, anger building. Where did you steal that lightsaber? Where did you steal yours? Dario glanced around, still holding his blades up, and lowered his voice, changing his tenor entirely. Wait, is this part of your bit? Gela realized all at once. Not only was he not a Jedi, but he had no connection to the Force. He was a grifter, using a sacred weapon that had once belonged to another. She couldn't fight a man with such a disadvantage. But he resumed his character. This wrath of the Jedi. This showman making a mockery of everything she believed in. I am a Jedi! Gela holstered one of her blades. Then she reached out into the Force and seized the light staff right out of his hands. He gasped, then looked her up and down. Maybe you're the real deal. Dario looked up in the direction of Ney Mataein's office. His face twisted into something scared, then mean. Like whatever was up there was scarier than Gela ever would be to him. But you're not taking this win from me! He screamed as he hurled himself at Gela. She felt him a little too late to move out of the way of his momentum. She grabbed onto his slippery robes and they fell together slamming into the glass floor with a painful thud. Pushing herself up, she wasn't sure if the liquid on the floor was her blood or other secretions. But that wasn't her biggest worry. The Trandoshan bouncer and a few others shoved their way through the dispersing crowd. Too late, Dario said as he sat up. Nay does not like her shows interrupted. She held the stolen light staff in her fist and felt the hum of its crystal within. She'd get it back, 
She was sure of that. First, she threw it back. Defend yourself. We're leaving this place. But as a magnetic force ripped her blades from her hands and the hatch of the floor snapped open, Gela knew she wasn't going anywhere. Moments before Gela Natai fell into the underground level of the rusty rancor, Axel Greylark was talking his way into getting what he wanted. My, my, Axel Greylark. Nay rested her sharp chin on her folded hands. I'm jealous. I've never seen you smitten before. Don't be ridiculous. He ran a palm down his torso. He did his best not to turn left and peek at the fighting ring. Gela could handle herself. She'd survived a shuttle falling out of the sky. She'd survived this without him. The Jedi is a means to an end, nothing more. I'll never understand why you run back to the path. Nay raised her brows. When he didn't answer, she said, My sweets, whatever you're doing, it is not going to turn out how you think it will. You're better off coming to work for me again. You barely lasted a year back on Coruscant before winding up right back here in this chair. Nay, my magnanimous Thelian Rose, level with me. Can you dig something up on Viceroy Farrell? She arched a brow. What kind of something? He leaned forward. The kind you don't come back from. You know you owe me. You're no fun anymore, she said, clicking her tongue. Mm, it's straight to business. And you're right. I never took care of you for bribing that Chandrillian senator for me, even if you broke his daughter's heart. Axel felt a twinge of guilt, but then buried it. The senator had been lobbying for an outer rim police force that would destroy places like the Hesperus. And even if he hadn't been, why did he need a reason? Everyone in the galaxy was a means to an end, and the end was his chaos. Nay grinned at her mischief. And now I will do you a favor. Axel frowned. What do you mean? This popped up earlier today on my feeds. She flicked to a hollow of his face. A bounty had been placed on him by Rake. That's not a very flattering angle. All my angles are flattering. Axel ground the back of his teeth. It was definitely time for him to go. Is the favor that you're going to let me out of here without collecting it yourself? You are more useful to me alive, she said. But I will give you a head start. Nay slid a data card across the table and he pocketed it before she changed her mind and made him crawl for it. Wouldn't be the first time. As he swallowed the dryness in his throat, he finally turned to the fighting ring. Gela and Nay's Jedi champion had fallen off the Thelian's aerial playground. As her lightsabers were snatched by the magnetic clamp on the stage, 
The floor latched open, and she plummeted into the cellars. You should see your face, Axel, Nay teased him. Thank you for bringing her. She will make a fine champion once we break her. Axel flashed a smile. That's where Nay was wrong. He knew the Jedi Knight well enough now to know that a place like the Rusty Rancor wouldn't break her. In his haughtiest voice, he said, I'm bored now. I must be getting back. Don't forget your head start, Nay reminded him as he made his way out of her office. Opposite Axel, one of the Thelian security detail was hurrying to his boss. In his hands were three lightsaber hilts to be stored in between fights. Axel drew his blaster and shot the human man in his chest. Because of his surprise, he rocked back and cracked his head as he fell. Axel holstered his blaster pistol and bent down to gather the lightsabers. The light staff he tucked into the hook of his holster. Gela's twin hilts he held for a moment. He'd seen her fight half a dozen soldiers with them, glide across stalagmites like she was walking on air. He squeezed his fists to stop them from shaking and slid the twin hilts into his cape pockets, hurrying out of the corridor before someone noticed the body. Retracing their steps from when they first arrived, Axel took advantage of the dispersing crowds, furious that the last match was stalled. The little Palawix sang into the microphone during the slight intermission, but there was too much confusion. On his way out, QN1 stopped him, trilling obscenities. Where did you learn how to say that? Axel asked, affronted. And we have to go. There's a bounty on my neck, and the minute I'm gone, my mother will throw you into the Coruscant Recycler. Quinn's triangular panel pulsed red, as it did when the droid was angry or afraid. Axel kept walking. He knew he should just keep walking, but with every step out of the rusty rancor, he found it became harder to breathe. He got down on one knee, pressing his palm to the place over his heart. He rubbed the place there. He had a small scar from the day his father had been buried in the rubble of Melita Dawn. It didn't hurt, not anymore, not physically. But he touched it because it was a reminder years later that his father had been real. He wasn't a memorial statue in a Coruscant park, and he wasn't a tactless painting in his mother's office. Quinn tried to stop him again, bumping his dome hard against Axel. This time, the little droid's light pulsed violet, like Gela's lightsabers. Gela, whom he was supposed to leave behind. Gela, who was supposed to mean nothing. Gela, who looked at him with a kind of patience he had never felt or been given. Axel stopped walking. Bodies pushed against him in the throngs of revelers. He looked back. He had his story. Gela fought and lost. It was the way of the Force. It was the way of the Force. As soon as the thought burst into his mind, he whirled around and let out an exasperated scream. He knew the rusty Rancor's levels and doors. 
he pushed through the angry crowds waiting for the next match. There was an elevator on the other side of the fighting ring, but he'd never get there in time. Squished right against a three-eyed Gran, Axel grabbed the being's holstered blaster pistol and shot it into the air before dropping it. Screams ripped through the room, the crowd churning like a wave. He coasted through the mob, then repeated the act, this time lifting a blaster from a panicked Aqualish. With the security detail running to the areas where the shots rang from, Axel and Quinn slipped through the back door leading to the sublevel. Bright white cells lined the row housing Ney's prized fighters. Some were willing permanent house guests, and some, like Dario, who had a gambling ledger to pay off, were chipping away at what they owed the Thelian. Axel walked past Gela's cell. Through the reinforced glass smudged with her fingerprints, he watched surprise bloom across her face. It was quickly followed by anger as he withdrew one of her lightsabers from his pocket. He'd call it payback for the time she took the eventide for a joyride. It was a good thing he always knew what button to press. As the purple light of Gela's lightsaber elongated, Quinn flew out of the way before it could get cleaved in half. Sorry. Gela punched at the glass. Axel only stared at the sword in his hand. He'd never actually held a Jedi's weapon before. Not that he'd ever had the opportunity. It was disturbingly intimate. The coolness of the hilt in his palm. The very weight of it. The whole thing felt like an illusion, like he shouldn't need to grasp it with both of his hands to bear it. That's exactly what he did as he drove the violet blade into the glass and cut a way out. In the other cells, the champions banged against the glass. Get us out of here! But he concentrated, struggling to cut a door because he kept flicking his gaze to her the way she bounced back and forth on her heels as if she was getting ready to burst through the doorway. When he was done, Gela ducked out of the cell. She swallowed, the bottom pout of her lip trembling. He knew when someone was getting ready to yell. Instead, Gela Natai whispered, Thank you, Axel. You could have left without me. He was going to. He should have. He was supposed to. Quinn wouldn't let me live it down. Let's go. Wait. Gela grabbed a fistful of his tunic, then turned off the lightsaber and holstered it. The others. We have to go, Gela, he repeated. There was a bounty on his head. There was no time for this. Was there? Perhaps once when he'd been a boy, when his father had been alive, when he'd been primed to lead. Perhaps then his first thought would have been to rescue them all instead of just one person. As she found the override lever that opened all the doors, Axel's thoughts spiraled. But Gela wasn't like him. She wasn't like anyone he'd ever come across in the cosmos. She chose the galaxy and he chose himself. She chose the path of a peacekeeper, and he chose a different way. She was justice, and he was chaos. The thought made him want to run. 
A dozen champions spilled out of the cells. Some remained behind. He watched Gela exchange a look with the wrath of the Jedi. Then together, Axel and Gela shot out of the belly of the rusty Rancor and raced back to the Eventide. Axel breathed hard as he punched in the flight sequence. Gela strapped into the seat beside him. He couldn't look at her, not after what he'd almost done. Well, she asked, what did you find? He pulled himself together, piece by piece. He reached into his pocket for the data card Ney provided. Everything the monarch needs to get rid of Feral. Chapter 27, Erasmus Capital City, Iram. The docking bay in Erasmus Capital City was situated on the south end of the coast. The city's transparent shield dome opened above that sector to let in ship after ship arriving for the wedding of Fontu Zen and Ziri Albaran. Senators and royal households had started arriving the night before, and they hadn't stopped. As Chancellor Malo had predicted, the galaxy was curious about the fate of Arano and Irab's promise. From there, all the way to Coruscant, tabloids created their own narratives, spinning the couple into legend. A peaceful union became a marriage of convenience, became star-crossed lovers, became fate, as evident by superstitions being bolstered around each world by the presence of the brave and true Jedi and representatives of the Republic. Fontu Zen was not aware of the way the galaxy perceived him. As he waited in Docking Bay 26 for the Eventide, he only worried the forces trying to break their worlds were stronger than the ones trying to keep them together. The guard, Vigo, standing nearby, noticed his nervousness and cleared his throat. <coughs> When you pulled the princess out of the sea, did you imagine you'd marry her? Fontu only shook his head, distracted by the eventide landing in the docking bay. Then he answered earnestly, No, I didn't. Why do you ask? Soon, half of you will belong to Arano. How do we know you will love your people as much as you always have? Fontu turned to him. Shocked at such a brash and direct question, but Vigo had already retreated out of speaking distance, staring evenly at the Prince of Iram. Fontu shook it off as the sickle-shaped Republic vessel landed. He nervously waited for the ramp to lower and for Axel Greylark and Gela Natai. Trailed by QN1, the pair stomped out of the ship and onto the tarmac. You look terrible. Fontu told his friends. Gela's onyx hair was loose over her shoulders, and her beige and brown robes stained with... Uh, was that blood? Fontu always knew she might throttle Greylark one day, as they'd all taken turns feeling during their desert voyage. Axel, on the other hand, looked freshly showered and had changed clothes on the return trip from his asteroid playground. Axel loosened the collar of his tunic and hugged Fontu 
I expect a personal welcome every time I come to Iram. Fontu shook his head, and Gela waited patiently. Was that a third lightsaber she was holding? What did you find? He asked. Proof against the Viceroy, Axel explained. He would find peace in seeing the Viceroy pay for what he'd done. In the meantime, he needed Axel's help. I need a favor, Fontu said to Axel. He hoped that his new friend could sense that it was urgent. Then again, the Jedi likely could as well. He decided to add, Wedding things. I'll take the data card to the summit, Gela said. For a moment, her worried gaze lingered on Axel, then Fontu. When the pair of them waved at her, she shook off whatever was bothering her and hurried to the palace. When she was out of earshot, Fontu asked, What did you do? In his defense, Axel did not deny it. He scratched the side of his head and winced as he said, I shoved her into a fighting ring and got her trapped. But I did rescue her. Well, yeah, that should do it. The ramp of the ship closed behind them. Axel led Fontu inside. It smelled like desert rose incense from Arano and the earthly scented oils Greylark slathered on himself. He admired the classic details in the ship, the soft brown leather in the lounge and cockpit seats. Fontu strapped in, much to Axel's confusion. I'm sorry, are we going somewhere? The Coruscant Prince asked. I need you to take me 200 clicks north of here, to Arium Island. Axel sat back in his pilot's seat, turning things back on that he'd just turned off. For wedding things? Yes, Fontu said. Krell's beard, Axel muttered. Do you need me to draw you a diagram for your wedding night? Why do I bother with you, honestly? Axel shrugged and laughed at his own humor. <laughs> because you want a favor, no questions asked, and you know you've come to the right person. Fontu shut his eyes as the eventide peeled back into the sky. Even though he'd been to Arano and back, the takeoff still made him dizzy. As Axel navigated to Arium Island, Fontu drummed his fingers on the console to the rhythm of the song blaring through the cockpit from his custom transmitter. When his fear of flying vanished, Axel lowered the music, almost as if he knew. We got word your mother is on her way, Fontu said. Axel acknowledged it with a faint nod. Fontu didn't know much about one of the chancellors of the Republic, but he understood the pressure Axel felt. His own mother was a queen, after all. Sensing that his friend didn't want to brush upon the subject, he updated Greylark on the nearly finalized treaty and the distribution he'd done with Ziri on the day Axel and Gela were gone. Axel tucked a hand under his head and propped up his feet on the console. If you want honeymoon destinations, I'm happy to suggest. Perhaps if... 
He wanted to say, if there's still a wedding after today. You're a terrible liar, Fontusen, Axel said, lowering the thrusters as they approached the small island. So just tell me why we're here. I know what poison killed the Kagi assassin, Fontu said after a moment of silence. Axel eased the control down. I take it that's why we're at this island? There's a research facility here, Fontu said. I thought it had been shut down when the first war broke out. But when I saw the body, it looked so familiar. The Thylefire scorpions on Erano may not be poisonous, but the ones on Iram are. The death looked like an extreme reaction to something that should be survivable. Axel's wrist comlink beeped. He looked at it and frowned, ignoring it. My mother. Blame the salt groves, Fontu said. They grow a lichen that seems to disrupt some calms. Is it like the happy lichen on Erano? Axel's eyes glittered with something dark. Something Fontu had come to realize was self-destructive. Are you sure you're all right? He asked the Coruscant Prince. There had been a noticeable change in his reluctant friend since he returned from the asteroid. Though, if he really thought about it, he could trace Axel's erratic mood swings to his argument with Gela that night in Urano. Are you perhaps lamenting something you can't have? Darling, the only thing I can't have is Jogenfruit. Axel flashed his famous smile as he busied himself with their landing. They stationed the Eventide in the bay behind the research facility perched on the tallest hill of the dark green island surrounded by rough waves. Overhead, storm clouds rolled with the promise of rain. Before we go inside, Greylark said, pointing to the viewport that faced the stark gray compound, I need you to ask yourself two things. What are you going to do if your hunch is right? And are you going to tell Ziri? Fontu had asked himself those questions since he saw the dead body. The Jedi Masters said there are too many things obscuring us from the truth. I don't want to add to that. I don't want to start this with Ziri with a lie even if that means confronting my mother. We could make a run for it, Axel said. I have enough fuel to get us a one-way trip to Coruscant. He laughed. Axel Greylark had been right. The man had worn him down like sea glass. If we have a weapon, I want to destroy it. That's why I didn't want the Jedi around. We would have been lying to them all, and it could give credence to Viceroy Farrell's mad ravings. Though, if it turns out that your mother has been secretly manufacturing a poisonous weapon, they wouldn't be mad ravings anymore. Fontu got up. What was the galaxy coming to when Axel Greylark started sounding reasonable? As they stepped off the Eventide's loading ramp, Fontu found himself asking, do you ever want to get married? Axel looked taken aback. 
By the stars, no. Though I have been engaged three times. Three times? Fontu led the way into the facility. He pressed his palm against the lock scanner, and the door hissed open. The moment they strode in, rain began to fall. Axel shrugged like it wasn't a big deal. His little droid warbled something Fontu could not understand. Another time, perhaps. Someone waited for them in the wide hall of the research center. The woman had long blue braids twisted in two knots at the top of her head. Her pale green eyes bounced from Axel to Fontu and back, then at her datapad. My lord, we were not aware of your visit, she said, bowing to Fontu. You may tell the queen all samples are about to be destroyed as she ordered. That is, of course, except for the ones archived in the palace. The problem is, we've had to divert power to the weather shield because of the storm, and have had to delay the process. Lord Fontu would like to oversee the destruction for himself, Axel said. Though he was no longer dressed as his attendant, he seemed to have no trouble slipping back into the role. Fontu had only ever accompanied his mother to the facility once before when they were working on developing more advanced water purifiers. But then the war started, and to his understanding, everything had been shut down. Even as they took the lift to the labs and the sublevels, the building felt hollow. What have you been doing, mother? Fontu whispered, opening the door to the lab. His breath came away in tiny, cold clouds. Everything, it seemed, had already been cleared out. Fontu went to the hollow table, but all information had been scrubbed. He had the sudden urge to break something, but there wasn't much for him to shatter. He had to think clearly. Axel had asked him what he was prepared to do. He'd simply have to face the Queen of Iram. Anything? Fontu asked. Axel tapped open a small refrigerator, his face bathed in the blue light. QN1 pulsed red, then mimicked the glow of the room. Fontu came up behind him and found the tray of metal tubes full of marbled white and turquoise liquid, at least a dozen of them. His mother had lied to him, kept him in the dark. Now she was hurrying to erase anything that she might have done. Well, Axel asked, what are you going to do? The poison had to be destroyed, and he had to be the one to do it, because he would not hesitate. He'd have to deal with the archived samples later. Fontu went to the corner of the room where he opened the incinerator chute. He could not leave matters to chance. Grabbing the tray away from Axel, he launched it into the fire. He stepped out of the way as the metal doors shut, and there came the roar of flame, warped metal and liquid hissing. His relief was short-lived when he stepped back and noticed an empty cage, the door still open. The rattle of a stinger filled the sterile room. 
Axel turned slowly. What is that? Don't move. Fontu tried to pinpoint the scorpion's location, but it scurried too quickly under the table. Axel drew his blaster and shot, but it only made the thing screech and hide again. Fontu shielded his eyes against the next round of shots until one landed true. Axel bent to pick up the dead, charred scorpion by a twitching pincer, nearly as long as Ceres bane blade. Its carapace was a sun-bleached blue and three times as big as any he had ever seen. You never said these were enormous. This is the size of my head. You mean to tell me these are just crawling around your planet filled with poison? The shields do keep them out. Besides, I've been... Fontu heard the scuttle of the critter against metal. He turned around and came face to face with a second scorpion that had been nesting on a shelf. Its sharp, ridged pincer rattled and hissed as it got ready to sting. Haxel fired and missed. Fontu raised his arm to shield his face from the pincer, but Axel stepped right in front of him, taking the full brunt of the sting as the barb drove through the hollow beneath his clavicle. Axel's blaster clattered to the ground first. Clutching his chest, he scratched at his throat, wheezing for breath. Warning. An automated voice spoke. Initiating storm lockdown. No, no, no! Fontu shouted, trying to shoulder Axel's weight as the lab doors shut. Axel Greylock was on his way. When he'd left Coruscant with a ship full of gifts on behalf of his mother, Chancellor Greylark, Axel had every intention of making the exhausting trip to the Outer Rim without any unscheduled stops. Instead, he'd stopped along the way. That's when he bumped into an old friend. Binot found him at a saloon on Lorta. They hadn't seen each other in some time, but some bonds were deep enough to survive long absence. You're getting predictable, the Miriolan said. You always stop here on your way to Dolna. Axel smiled into his drink. He had to shout over the caterwauling of the screeching band. Maybe I want to be found. His friend smiled. She has a job for you. Maybe she's the one getting predictable, Axel said, staring into his glass. Dare I say careless, even? Don't. Binot glared at him for a long time before continuing. She misses you. All members of the path are dear to her, Axel interrupted. I'm not a member of the path. Of course. But the mother never forgets her children, Binot said, taking Axel's drink and knocking it back. She wants you to come home. But Dalna wasn't his home. When he'd been at his lowest, it might have been, but no more. Axel Greylark was not a member of the Path of the Open Hand. 
Even the thought that he'd even uttered the words, the force will be free, made him grimace. The only freedom he cared about was his own. How could he ever achieve that if his entire life was bound to who he was? His very name, Greylark. Once, the mother had taught him to not simply channel his chaos, but to embrace it as a good little soldier. She'd seen his potential since the moment Nay Mataine sent him to the path to deliver ship parts for the skeletal frame of what would be the Gaze Electric. Back then, on Dalna, it seemed he'd found the one corner of the galaxy that did not worship the Jedi Knights. That's why he'd first lingered. But the mother was why he'd stayed. She reminded him that his pain, that bruise in his heart, was the only reminder that he had survived while his father had died. He needed to press down on it to remember. When he began to forget, to return to the Axel Greylark that Chancellor Keong wanted him to be. When he closed his eyes and he couldn't conjure his father's face from memory, when he couldn't breathe, when he began to settle like dust, he pressed down on that bruise and he learned to need the pain it brought. When the mother realized he would be better suited positioned in Coruscant, at the heart of the Senate, she sent him away. When she needed him, the whispers people divulged to him, the threats he could wield with a smile, or even the skill of his blaster, he returned. Because if she was his moon, then he was the tide. At least that's how it had been. Then, on Lorta, on his way to join the Paxian, he told Binot, Already have a job! Do you want a job? Or do you want purpose? Axel shrugged, but grinned. Let's hear it. Binot glanced around the room, but in this nook of space, no one cared about the dealings of strangers. She needs someone to keep track of some Jedi. Axel was beginning to think he might never outrun his past. Who was he without it? Why would the mother care what a bunch of Jedi are doing on Iram? Axel Greylark hadn't been prepared for what he'd truly find. Part 4. The Collision. Chapter 28, Erasmus City Center, Iram. For the last several years, the Queen of Iram had spent her nights in the old study, where every royal before her had strategized before a fight. Portraits of her family covered one wall, while a paper map of Iram, so old it was disintegrating, was framed on another. After her son had returned with a very sick Axel Greylark, Queen Adriala hadn't been able to sleep. She paced her study, robe kissing her bare feet and long curls spilling over her shoulders. The queen turned away from the remains of the map and toward the intricate hollow rendering of Iram, 
She had a list of every delegation attending the wedding and considered what alliances could be struck. When the doors to her study opened, she turned to find her son. Normally, he brought her a gift, a flower from the garden, pearls from his trips into the canals of the city, or simply an embrace. Now, as he stalked into the room, she realized she hadn't been prepared for this confrontation. Mother, he said, a tone her sweet, caring, fond to Zen had never taken with her, or anyone for that matter. There was something in his hands she could not make out in the low light. Not until he tossed it on the hollow table. The cylinder rolled until she snatched it up, an empty metal vial. You were at the research facility, she said coolly. She'd known at the moment the Greylark boy had been taken to the medic. Fontu struggled, not for words, but for the courage to ask her the things he was afraid to hear. What did you do? I was protecting us. You lied to the summit! I was protecting us! She stepped around the table, took his face in her hands. Erano had its new ships. Don't you think the Republic has weapons we don't know about? And who do we have deals with? He stepped out of her grasp. No one, she said, knowing it was the truth now. Not anymore. Mother! You're hurt, I did not tell you. Queen Adriella moved toward the large arched window. I could not tell you. What if you'd been taken from me? It was best to keep you in the shadows. That way you would never have to compromise yourself. Fontu scoffed, hurt lacing his words. You did more than keep me in the shadows. You lied to me. I defended you when Erino accused us of this very act. My darling boy, she said. What would be the point in telling you when our attempt to test it on Erino failed? Fontu turned to her slowly. When? Queen Adriala inhaled deeply. The crashed ship and soldiers you found in the Badlands. They had an aerosolized version, but it didn't work. We were going to try again, but when we implemented the ceasefire, I shut it down. You've known this whole time, haven't you? Fontu began to walk away, shaking with anger. Then he doubled back. Who? Queen Adriala pressed her lips together. She calls herself the Mother. She came to me to offer relief when our friends had turned their backs on us. She was offering it in exchange for nothing at first. Then she asked for an experiment. She'd heard about the creatures of our world and convinced me that we needed to arm ourselves against Erano because we would never match them with their ships. He leveled an accusatory finger at her. You told me we were above using our enemy's tactics. You told me I was wrong. 
she thundered. And I was afraid. For you. For Odelia. For years, I did not see an end to war. And I thought this could fix it. But she wasn't satisfied with a simple injection. She wanted it to become airborne. I suppose it's good to know you have a line, mother, her son said bitterly. Then he stilled, looked at her almost without recognition. Did you kill that girl? No, Queen Adriala said firmly. No, I swear it. He had no choice but to believe her, and yet he still couldn't understand. Why, mother? When I backed out of our agreement, she threatened me. I thought she'd go after you. I never thought Ziri would be harmed. But we will destroy the facility if it means you will forgive me. You should have told me, he shouted. I would have reminded you that we were supposed to be better. I... I have to tell Ziri. We cannot begin this on a lie. Queen Adriala gave him a sad smile. She's a smart girl. And she is already here. Come in, Captain Orbarin. Ziri? Fontu said, whirling around. The Princess of Arano entered the Queen's study. By the solemn set of her lips, Fontu knew she'd been there a long time. You followed me, he said. You're not a very good liar. I suspected you were keeping something from me when you left with Axel. Ziri moved to the paper map. She squeezed her fingers like she wanted to touch it, but was afraid it would only crumble further. Don't destroy the research facility. We already stopped production and have moved the last stockpiles to the palace archives for safekeeping, Queen Adriala said. That isn't what I'm worried about. Ziri, Fontu began. Queen Adriala chuckled. The Princess of Arano was her father's daughter. She might not have chosen her, but she would make a good balance for Fontu. <laughs> what are you suggesting? Do you hear yourself? Fontu asked. No, Fontu. Listen to me, Ziri said. Even now, delegations are flying across the galaxy for our wedding to prove that we are stronger together. But what happens when other enemies appear? Rev Farrell is still in hiding, trying to start a civil war. His father will be executed for his crimes. What happens when, if the Republic one day decides they don't want to be our ally? What happens when we can't get help? The Republic and the Jedi Order are our allies, Fontu said. But will they be in ten years? Thirty? The Queen asked. Axel and Gela have risked their lives for us, and I am truly grateful. Ciri walked slowly to Queen Adriala's side. 
But this is about us, for what comes after. The last poison is a failsafe for all our people against threats from the galaxy. But the factory? You're right. I'm not talking about manufacturing weapons. I'm talking about technology that won't put us at the mercy of other systems. Our water, our mines, our quarries. Our worlds as one. Fontu stared at Ciri and took her hand. I know empirically that you're right. After everything we went through on Erano and everything we've witnessed here, I know the cruelty beings are capable of. I... I need you to remind me of those things. I never want Iram and Erano to suffer. But we can't let it change who we are. Ziri nodded slowly. We can remind each other. Looking into the faces of her son and his future bride, Queen Adriala saw the future of not just their worlds, but their system. She would do everything in her power to protect it. Chapter 29 Erasmus City Center, Iram. Axel Greylark had always wanted to burn bright, hard, fast, like a supernova. But trapped in his mind, he could not stop the fire in his veins. The scorpion sting coursed through him the moment the pincer jabbed under his throat. He remembered staggering, the abrasion like sand under the top layer of his skin. He remembered... Fon too screaming, a desperate ride back to the Irami Palace. He remembered the swell of the dark, the memories of people he'd hurt, by sheer stupidity or by careful action. On usual nights, Axel did his best not to sleep, or at the very least not to sleep deeply, because that is when the memories flooded back. He relives the worst day of his life. And if he could wake up, he would take himself to the nearest parlor or game or lose himself in someone until it starts to fade for a time. But the poison kept him anchored to his own thoughts. And he wondered if the one person he was trying to run from was not a memory, but himself. There was a moment of reprieve. The heat in his veins iced over, and his heart beat so fast it might stop. There was another moment of solace, a tendril of hope worming its way into his heart. Hope looked like Fontu Zen and Ziri Albaran and Gelanatai. But as the venom returned, he heard voices, uncertain if they were in his head or in his room. He listens. Axel, Axel, please. You giant fool! Don't do this, Greylark. I need you, Chaos. When Axel Greylark's fever broke, 
he still thought he was dreaming. Through blurry eyes, he saw a young woman in brown robes at his side. He reached for her hand. Gela! He brushed a finger against hers, too weak to hold on. Gela! I'm... It's Enya, the girl whispered. You've been asleep for five days. Five days? Axel blinked, regretting the piercing light being shined into his eyes by an older series med droid. Patient stable, it said, then jabbed something into his arm, and he felt the cold rush of medicine as he breathed through the pain. Axel sat up, despite the protests of the Padawan. Iramie's servants had left behind a jar of water. He reached for it, but dropped the cup. Enya took pity on him and poured him another. Thank you, he said, barely recognizing the scrape of his voice. He had lost so much time. I'll tell everyone you're awake, the Padawan said. Don't... <coughs> Axel's voice hurt. He tried to sit up. Not yet. Enya watched him for a moment. You should rest. The wedding rehearsal is tonight, and Chancellor Greylark is here. Axel's adrenaline spiked. His mother had come, and he'd been out for five days. Quinn flew over to his bedside and nested in the crook of his arm like he was a child again. Please, just let me rest. Perhaps he looked and sounded as awful as he felt, because the Padawan looked at him with sympathy he did not deserve. As he asked, she left him alone. And when she vanished into the hall, he grabbed his comm link from the bedside. He pressed the button and waited for a response. He took the comm link to the bath where he let the pressure of the lukewarm water beat against his shoulders. During their voyage, Fontu would say that it was the salt in the water that made him feel alive when he swam, that the people of Iram said it had healing properties. Axel was many things, but he was not superstitious. Yet, with every moment letting the salt water mixture cleanse him, he came more and more awake. When he toweled off and inspected his wound in the mirror, he was surprised he still looked the same. There were shadows under his eyes, and his skin was a bit pale. The dreams from the poison made him feel like he was being ripped from within, so he was relieved he still looked like himself, even if he still did not quite feel it. The moment his comm link beeped, he grabbed it from the side of the sink. By the force. Binot's voice came through. You're alive. Axel did not have it in him to laugh, even if he missed his friend. He cleared his throat, rubbed at the scar over his pectoral. I have the parcel. Good. Send your droid. There came the hollow sound of a comm link remaining on, but Binot took a deep breath before he said, you were supposed to get rid of the Jedi. The Mother is not pleased with you. 
Somehow, Axel found it in him to smile. Laugh, even. <laughs> then, my friend, she joins a very long list. When he turned off his comlink, he dressed in a dark blue suit of Gorman silk that had been left for him. He slid on his family ring, his vintage chrono, his suede slippers. He loved beautiful things, but they were more than that. They were a cloak most people could not see through. Quinn, Axel called out into the empty room. His droid answered immediately, apparently worried given the faint purple glow of its front panel. Axel tapped the center and it opened. Instead of his usual flask and his blaster pistol, there were three slender vials of irony poison he'd smuggled while Fontu wasn't looking. He'd been too preoccupied with the realization that it was the queen who had the vicious poison made. Axel trembled at the memory of the burn of the poison. This was what the mother wanted? Quinn trilled, waiting for orders. Axel rubbed his palms across his face. He was tired, more than in body. He was tired of following orders. After everything he had done over the years, he knew he was not good. If he stripped down his family name, the inheritance waiting for him, the trinkets, the lies, what did he have left? He rubbed at the ache on his chest. It was lighter than before. He thought of Gelanatai. He told her some things weren't meant to be unraveled. Well, what if that was what he wanted? Quinn trilled again, its triangular panels pulsing violet, like distant nebulous, like a Jedi's lightsabers. No. Axel said. You're not going to Binot. I'm keeping it. Quinn warbled in alarm. Axel chuckled, but it hurt. <laughs> uh, not for long. I'm going to destroy it. Rev Farrell waited for the light. With the shipyard north of the Rook empty, Rev sat in one of the three drill ships he'd stolen and patched himself into the Paxian's channels to keep tabs on the situation and wait for his next best moment to strike. He came from a long line of people who had given their lives for Arano. Whether in the war or in the marble quarries, the mines that made his distant world rich with possibility when he'd attacked the mining town of Urano, he needed every citizen there to wake up, to see that the monarch couldn't protect their own. His father had been loyal, and where had it gotten him? Branded a traitor, conspired against, framed for a murder he hadn't committed. All Viceroy Farrell was guilty of was being a true son of Arano. Axel Greylark had somehow falsified evidence, but he'd get what was coming to him. Rev had broken his father out of jail and stashed him in the abandoned brushlands to recover. That was what Ziri's little peace summit had done to such a great man. 
they'd broken him. Rev had been a good soldier, until the moment his captain, his princess, had chosen to marry the scum across the space corridor instead of fight. He'd fight for the ones whom the monarch left behind, because once they stopped fighting, others would come. They already had. The Republic had their hungry expectations to swallow their sector whole. And the Jedi? Pah! Who gave so much in exchange for nothing? Everything he'd done, and everything he would do, had been to secure the future of an Arano free from the Republic and free from Iram. He'd taken a loss at Urano, but he'd find others. Courage took time. <sighs> he sniffed gold Asterpuff, wound a scarf around his face to protect against the sun, and imagined what it would be like to destroy his enemy, to end the line of Albaran. When first light came, it would be time to go. The night before the wedding, the ballroom glittered with glowing anemones and iridescent coral. At the behest of the Chancellors of the Republic, delegations had come from Naboo, Moncala, Saria, Lasan, Toydaria, and more, all dripping with their cultural finery. Gela tried to count all the worlds represented, but there were too many to keep track of. Among them, Dozens of Jedi in formal robes had arrived a day ahead of the wedding. Some laughed, some stood somber sentry, some indulged in the feast. But all in attendance shared the goal of protecting the peace for the wedding. <laughs> Chancellor Malo tapped his goblet with the tip of one of his nails. Every being at the rehearsal slowly turned to the plinking sound. Gela searched the faces in the crowd for Axel. Enya had said he hadn't wanted to be disturbed, and she knew he needed rest. Gela knew that was best, but she imagined he'd enjoy such a luxurious party more than she did. And besides, his mother was in attendance. Friends, Chancellor Malo began, we are overjoyed to share in this moment. I, Ram, and Arano united. I have traveled all over the galaxy, to many of the worlds represented here. He let that moment settle on the crowd. I have survived a war myself. I know the dedication that goes into forging a lasting peace. We see that in Fardu Zen and Ziri Albaran. We see it in our allies, the intrepid Jedi who helped foil attempts to disrupt peace. And we see it in everyone present. Because peace is a choice. And you have all chosen it. There was an excited round of applause. Behind her, she felt a familiar presence. I do say, he's been working on that speech for quite a while. Gela turned to the sound of Axel's voice. Her relief was overwhelming. 
Not only that, but Axel's emotion also overwhelmed her. Perhaps he was too sick to push it all down and pretend it did not exist. He did not seem his usual self, but Gela understood how long it took to heal. Behind them, Fontu wrapped Axel in a crushing hug. Everything hurts. <laughs> the Coruscant prince eked out. Oh, right, the groom said, letting go with a final clap on the back. Axel's smile was weary, but genuine. She was learning to tell the difference. Ziri, who did not hug, rested her hand on his shoulder. Are you sure you should be up? I heard a little dancing is good for the convalescing. He winked at the princess, but then held out his hand to Gela. Oh, uh, I don't dance. Please. She heard him say the word when he wanted something, but she'd never heard it like this. Soft, final. Gela took his hand and joined other dancing pairs at the center of it all. The music was all strings and instruments made of giant conks that sounded melancholic. They made a strange pair, she thought. Perhaps that was why so many heads turned in their direction. His hand was firm against the middle of her back. The other threaded with hers as they began to glide around the room with other dancing couples who were far more graceful. Where will you go after this? He asked. Back to your training, finally. I may remain here, actually, Gela said brightly. I believe in Ziri and Fontu. There is a lot of work to be done, and I'd like to help them. We make an admirable team, all of us. Axel smirked, but had no pithy remark. Gela, Axel, do you think... Uh, that, that if you weren't Jedi, and I wasn't, well, whoever I am, that perhaps you and I could be real friends. Gela stepped back as the music crested and couples spun. She thought on his words, on the sincerity that dug at feelings she couldn't name. If I were not a Jedi, then I would not be who I am. I've dedicated my life to my vow. I, I, I can't separate that person. Oh, my Jedi Knight, I know. He brushed an errant strand of hair away. You know, the Arami have another superstition, that they live many lives, perhaps in the next life. She wanted to say that this was the only life she'd get before becoming one with the Force. Axel took her hand and placed a soft kiss on the top of it. They remained there for a moment, his thumb on the pulse of her wrist. She let go first, but before they could part, Chancellor Greylark was there. Draped in opulent golds, the woman was austere elegant in her beauty. Gela could see Axel in her eyes, but her face was set in an almost unbreakable stoicism 
that could rival even Master Sun. Chancellor Greylock, Gela said. Mother, Axel murmured. You must be the Jedi Knight who helped keep the heirs safe. She brushed Axel's shoulder, and they both noticed him tense from his injury. Gela Natai, she said. I came to pay my respects. It is technically against protocol for Chancellor Marlowe and myself to be at the same functions without more security. Tomorrow, I will view the wedding from aboard the Paxian, since my own ship is docked near the moon. Marlowe must be thrilled, Axel said, his smile faltering. Chancellor Greylark's smile was tight. I do hope my son did not embarrass himself too much on your relief campaign. But then how would you garner sympathy from the galaxy if you didn't have me to embarrass you? Axel snatched a drink from a passing tray, but only held it. His fingers shook. The Chancellor's face paled. Her lips parted in surprise. Gela frowned, sensing Axel's anger, weariness. Excuse me, Jedi Natai. Mother, Axel said curtly, then vanished into the crowded ballroom. What no one could see as Axel Greylark waded into the dense ballroom was a slender beacon in the palm of his hand. He jammed it into a thick, potted plant of coral. Its winking light blended into the bioluminescence of the gnarly organism and broadcast his location to a wide enough radius. In hindsight, Rake had done him a favor by putting a bounty on his head. Axel had needed to regroup. Remember, press down on that bruise, as the mother had told him so many years ago. He hadn't wanted to leave the party just yet. He'd liked dancing with Gela, even if they could never be close. He was drawn to her. Then again, he liked it when things hurt. But his own mother had put a sour taste on the night, and he wasn't back to his full strength. As he stepped back into his chamber, he scanned the room for Quinn. He unclasped his cape and suit jacket. He'd sweated through his clothes and needed another bath. Quinn, he called out. Surely Binot and the path would be hounding Axel for the vials. But Axel was suddenly forming plans of his own. Quinn, I need a drink, please. He heard the warbled sound first, a sound his droid had never made before. It was like he'd been speaking and then powered down in the middle of a sentence. Axel froze at the foot of his bed, where Quinn had been ripped apart. His dome was askew, strung to his smaller lower half by fraying wires. The light panel on his chest flashed a burst of violet light and then turned off. Lost in his anger, Axel didn't hear the man creep up behind him. Viceroy Farrell grabbed Axel around his throat and held a blaster to his temple. Weak, muscles trembling, 
Axel hopped up on the bed frame and shoved back with all his strength. Ironic that Axel had killed the Kagi in a similar way, but he should live by hurtling himself at the floor. The blast grazed his ear, and he smelled burnt hair and heard ringing. I know it was you, the Viceroy seethed, taking advantage of Axel's weakened state and climbing on top. He extended his blaster, holding it with both hands. Axel laughed and stared down the barrel. This man had never killed anyone in his life, judging by the way he trembled. What can you prove? You framed me! I don't know how, but you framed me! His amber eyes were bright as he said, I saw you enter that tower. We both know you're guilty of far worse than what I scrounged up, Axel said. Then he grabbed the Bane Blade from the Viceroy's side and drove it into the fleshy skin beneath the man's ribs. Axel could barely shove the Viceroy off him. His heart beat wildly at his throat. Then he picked up the blaster and took a shot. Someone would come because of all the noise. He could already hear confused commotion come from the open window. He considered staying. He was an excellent liar, but he'd have to twist himself into knots to explain why the Viceroy had targeted Axel. There were too many variables. He staggered to his feet and started to gather the pieces of Quinn, but he couldn't carry his droid and disappear quietly through the palace. I'm sorry, he whispered. I'm sorry, Quinn. Please, please forgive me. He choked on the last two words as he opened the panel, withdrew the cylindrical vials of poison, and hurried away as fast and far as he could. Chapter 30, Erasmus City Center, Iram. Gela was leaning against the balcony overlooking the dark sea when she felt a disturbance in the force. There was a weight pressing in against her heart, there and then gone. Up above, the palace was quiet, save for the party. She hurried back inside and scanned the crowd, cackling Toydarians, waltzing Twi'leks, even two tipsy Gungans. Fontu and Master Sun were deep in conversation with Chancellor Malo. All appeared in order. What is it? Ziri asked, sidling up beside her. I know your Jedi face by now. Gela found a strain of the anxiety as a servant girl ran along the periphery of the room, then tugged the sleeve of a guard and hurried him along. Ziri and Gela shared a look that said everything. Gathering up the hem of her dress, Ziri ran alongside the Jedi Knight through the sandstone halls of Erasmus Palace. Even before they turned the corner that led to the guest rooms, they heard a scream. Axel, Gela thought. His room was down there. Every step felt like wading into an unknown current. She'd known something was wrong, 
but attributed it to his illness. The Iromi palace guards parted as Ziri entered Axel's room first and found Viceroy Farrell sprawled on the floor with a pistol in his hand and a dagger in his belly. Gather the leaders from the summit and the Jedi Masters discreetly, Ziri ordered the guard, who at first seemed reluctant, likely not used to being given orders by the princess from their neighboring planet. But when he looked at the lifeless body, he did as he was told. Gela Natai gathered QN1 and brought the little therapy droid into her chamber. One of the Jedi Knights who had arrived that week, Ada Forte, had brought with her a repair kit. Ada was a Kadassa Nikto, with green scaled skin and horns that formed an arc on either side of her face. If you'd rather join the search party, I can fix the droid, Ada said, her sunny voice welcome in the shadow of Gela's thoughts. The rest of the Jedi had dispersed through the palace, led by Master Charil Roy, while Master Sun.